Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of About What Matters. I'm Casey, creator of SlackyBrown.com. Today's episode, I'm going to be solo for a little bit because after that, we got Jeff Perlman coming on. Uh, he's got a new book coming out, Football for a Buck. I believe it's his eighth book. He's got multiple best uh, New York Times bestsellers, a sports illustrated writer, a current columnist for The Athletic. Uh, really good dude. He helped me out a lot when I was first, um, you know, finding my feet in the writing world and he's always free to answer questions and it's something that he really didn't have to do because of where I am and, and where he is so he's definitely one of the good guys in in our business uh so without further ado here's my conversation with Jeff Perlman uh Jeff so this is your eighth book correct it is my eighth book yep and of, you did a book on the Mets the Cowboys uh you went and doing the USFL now what was your favorite so far uh, I would say this was my most enjoyable, you know, like uh, Soup to Nuts. It was just, it was such a dream book for me. Of all the subjects I've ever written about, this was probably the one that just called me the most and I've wanted to do for years and years. So it was just cool. It was like the fruition of a, truly was. Like my, the, my dream has been to be a writer. So, okay, take that as a will. This was my dream book to write, as, especially from a sports world. So that's, you know, it's like a dream on top of a dream. Yeah, you have a reputation for interviewing a lot of people. Uh, I remember with the Favre book, I think you said you interviewed like 400 uh, subjects. How high did you get for the uh, football for a buck? So I got around 430, which should be, uh, that's like should be the normal equivalent of like 1,000 because I only had a year to do the book. So it was pretty hardcore as far as just calling, 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 nonstop calling, seven, eight interviews in a day, you know, just pure. It was so fun though. I know people say like cliche, oh, it's not work if you're enjoying yourself. It really didn't feel like work. It just didn't. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, any names that folks that recognize that you got the interview that'll be in the book? Oh, yeah. I mean, um, Steve Young. Hey. <laughs> yeah. Jim Kelly, you know, using gamblers. Um, I don't know. I mean, there were so many guys who played in that league. But um, that's the thing. Like a lot of people, especially my age, like 83 to 85 is when USFL was. Yeah. And how old are you? I'm 30. I just turned 30, and I was born in '88. So right, right. So you missed it. My dad uh, fell in love with Jim Kelly from uh, the USFL, though. And oh yeah, because he, he was he's a Bills fan. So Jim Kelly in the USFL played for this team, the Houston Gamblers, and um, they wore the sweetest uniforms ever. They were like black and red, and they were really cool. And he uh, he ran the run and shoot offense. He came right out of college. He was really cocky, and they give him a bunch of like Smurf receivers, all of who run like four three forties, and. They rarely used it. They never used a tight end. They rarely used a running back. It was just bip, 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 bip up and down the field. It was this inventive offense. It was just unbelievable. Man, the league was so good. It really was. When I was growing up, my my dad would call him the Riverboat Gambler. Was that a real nickname or was that just what he called him? No, that's just something every now and then they'll call like a Ken Stabler or Jim Gelly guy. Kind of a swashbuckler who would, you know, take a shot and go deep, throw him between two guys. But if your dad wants to take credit for giving Jim Kelly his nickname, he's allowed to. <laughs> I'm coming. What's your dad's name? Uh, Tom. I'm totally comfortable with Todd, with Tom, excuse me, nicknaming Jim Kelly. I'm comfortable with uh, that. It's good. So the USFL, like I said, it was only three years. Uh, from what I've read, like, 83 and 84 were, like, really, it was super solid. And um, But once 85 came, there was a lot of, like, merging. I was reading the, uh, the Sports Illustrated write-up of the final game. Yep. And it was, like, uh, Arizona merged with Oklahoma and Baltimore merged with Philadelphia. 
Was 85 a, a little bit of a mess? Or? Yeah, I mean, every year was messy. Like, there was no perfect season for the USFL. 83, the first season, was very experimental. It was very trial by error. They had great ratings out, out of the gate. Then they kind of struggled. Um, 84, Trump comes along as an owner of the New Jersey team and sort of throws everything to upheaval. And they, and they have six teams, six new teams in a weird rush to expansion. So they go from 12 to 18 after just one year. And, you know, they all of a sudden they have an influx of really, really good players. I mean, all of a sudden, Steve Young and Jim Kelly and Herschel Walker and Mike Rozier and uh, Reggie White, and Joe Cribbs, and just all these stars. But it's sort of hard to see where they're going at that point. And then the last year, it was a little bit, the football was great, but there was a lot of team movement. Philly went to Baltimore. The Arizona Wranglers, who had been the Chicago Blitz, merged with the Arizona Outlaws to become the Arizona Outlaws. The Breakers moved from Boston then to New Orleans to Portland. It was a lot of like just crazy upheaval. They were planning on moving to fall. They were in the early stages of suing the NFL. So the last season had really good football, but it was just a big mess of what the hell is going on here. That seems to be a trend. Like when a when an upstart league gets going, they like rush to expansion. I remember uh, the CFL like added a whole bunch of United States teams in the early mid nineties. Yeah. I think it was. Yeah. Um, and they only lasted like one or two years. Yeah, like Baltimore and Memphis, and you're like, what the hell is the CFL doing? That made even less sense than the USFL's expansion because why you you're literally you are literally the Canadian Football League. Why are you moving <laughs> to Memphis, Tennessee? Um, yeah, you know, a lot of times what it was with the USFL, it was a cash grab. You know, there was an expansion fee of six million per team. So, you know, the the owners are losing money and they're not as patient as they thought they were going to be. And well, here's a way we can get some money. So we'll put a team in San Antonio and not really do a great background check of the owner. But what's the worst that can happen? And then, you know. Had they waited like and played the, played the long game, mm-hmm. is there a, a scenario you see that the SFL, USFL could have lasted longer or still be going? I think it could have lasted longer. I think if they'd stayed to spring and stayed to the original idea, I think, um, you know, it's easy. The thing is, you, you wouldn't remember this, although you, I guess you were technically... No, you weren't alive for it. In 1987, there was a strike in the NFL, and it was a yeah, really I, heated... Right. I saw the uh, Redskins had the... Like, they won three games with yeah. the strike players. But, okay. Yeah, exactly. And then they ended up winning the Super Bowl. And um, yeah. so, you know, like, you're talking about a lot of players who would have had somewhere else to go. So if you have the USFL in existence in 1987, if it held out another two years... All of a sudden, you have a huge, I think, leaping of players to the USFL. Um, and I think ultimately the NFL would have sort of lost its patience. And I think they would have absorbed a bunch of teams. So I think the team in Baltimore, the team in Jacksonville, team in Memphis, you know, um, probably there was a team in Orlando that theoretically could have jumped. Just different teams that could have jumped. And I think ultimately the NFL, there's a, uh, you know, the Raiders that left for LA. So there was a void in Oakland where the Oakland Invaders played. So. I think you would have had a merging, really, or an absorption. Yeah, I remember in the... Uh, did you watch the 30 for 30, the, the small potatoes? Uh, Only about 27 times. <laughs> no more than 27 times. Yeah. Did you interview Mike Tolan for this book? Yeah, I know Mike really well. Yeah, uh, yeah, he's great. He's made some really good sports movies. and Not to get off track, but he's made some good sports movies in his uh, career. Now, did you ever see the movie... This is right in your sort of age wheelhouse with uh, Freddie Prince Jr. and Jessica Biel. Oh, Summer Catch, man. It's a, uh, it's a, do you agree with me? It's one of those movies that is truly awful, but also completely rewatchable a million times. Oh, absolutely. I love Summer Catch. And, Cause it's like such an, the, the 
main like the the baseball story is actually good like the Cape Cod League sure. one's done a story about the ba- the Cape Cod League like right. a movie um, her but the Jessica Bios father figure is just so cliched and like the over the top I don't want you marrying the long guy and the, yeah. the thing Mike told me that's very really funny is he said Freddie Prince has no athleticism to speak of yeah they just can't throw the baseball that's like man I see that all the time now I, even course. like the Friday Night Lights the, the TV show that was like yeah, I got it. really good ratings some of the football is just so awful. I mean, the drama is good, but some of the football is just so awful. Well, also, uh, like in uh, Bull Durham, supposedly, um, Tim Robbins just could not throw a baseball. Yeah, I mean, you can kind of tell from watching it. Bull Durham well, they almost did it the opposite way. They almost went so crazy with it that it kind of made sense the way they did it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, anyway. And then you hear story like Charlie Sheen actually could throw a baseball in Major League. And so could Kevin Costner, I'll tell you this. Kevin Costner, my second date with my wife, was to a movie starring Kevin Costner as an old uh, Detroit Tigers pitcher who's throwing oh, a no-hitter. Oh, uh, For the Love of the Game. For Love of the Game. Terrible movie. And yes. I think, terrible movie. And um, I was covering Major League Baseball when that came out. And supposedly he had a lot of extras who were Major League guys. And one of them was an outfielder with the Royals at the time named Scott Pose. And he said, one day Kevin Costner challenged, he was going to get a team of actors and extras to play the Major League guys and the Minor League guys in a game. And he kept bragging about how hard he could throw and on the day of the game, he said he had a sore arm and couldn't play. What? So, yeah. Oh, man, that's such a bummer. I love Kevin yeah. Costner. Yeah, I do too, actually. <laughs> so I know when you did Gunslinger, you went on a little bit of a press run. Uh, what do you have planned for the next couple of weeks man. before September 22nd? Are you going to be on Cowherd again? I am. I'm supposed to be next week. Yes. Yeah, I love awesome. him. He's a great guy. And, um, you know, it's like, it's this thing, right? I've never... Like I said, I never got less money for a book than this one. I never had to do it in a quicker time. I've never loved a subject as much. And I don't think I've ever, literally, in fact, I'm not even making this up. I'm sitting here while I'm talking to you, addressing envelopes to the people who wrote me, showing me that they, oh, unlike you, who ordered the book and are getting the, uh, the sticker and the, uh, they get a sticker, a name tag, and I put them in an, a, a, you know, a raffle for 20 Gunslinger t-shirts or 25. Like, I am pulling out all the stops here. All the stops. Yeah, like you, like your movie there, book horror, right? Yeah, I am a book horror. I personify the book horror. Hey, it's awesome. Thanks, man. Uh, like you said, I watched the uh, the video with you and your son. It's like if you put out a thousand postcards on everyone's underneath everyone's window. Yeah. You get like how many maybe, books am I selling? Twenty. Maybe thirty. Yeah, maybe thirty. You know I know. Saying? It's more superstition at this point. I did last I mean, week. You know, it's superstition. Like that's a pretty good hit rate, though. Like, it, how much does a like an, a banner ad at the top of a website bring? Probably one or yeah. zero. No, it's so you know what I will say. Saying since you like talking about this stuff, and I like talking about this stuff, it's it has marketing a book when I from when I first started to now is so ridiculously different. Um, so like when I came along, here's what you would do: you would have a publicist, and the publicist would try to get you reviewed in papers. That was it. It was newspapers, right? We're gonna. We might, and uh, we might be able to get the New York Times so-and-so columnist to review whatever. And that'd be great. And you'd be psyched and you'd wait for the reviews to come out. And maybe someone would do a profile on your book, your local hometown paper. And that was kind of it. And then you'd do sports radio and some TV if you were lucky. Nowadays, you know, like I would trade a tweet. Like the other day, Roland Martin, who's known for CNN. That. Right, he has half a million Twitter followers. He tweeted out my book. That is more valuable than a review in Sports Illustrated, and which is so weird. 
But it I is. I think that's like with a lot of sports writing now, even if like for a book or an article. Um, I had one article where you and Richard Deitch and a few other guys retweeted it out and it went like crazy. Right. You know, it doesn't happen if the big audiences aren't passing it on and passing it on and passing it on. Yeah, it's crazy. Uh, so, yeah, social media, absolutely. I mean, that's, it must be, it's so much different than, than how it was back in the day. And the problem is, it's, it's uh, on the one hand, it's good. And on the other hand, it is all absorbing and it's just tiring and you're always in front of your freaking computer and I'm so... Like, the book hasn't come out. It's not coming out for like another 10 days. I'm already sick of myself. I'm sick of hearing myself talk. I know my family is sick of hearing USFL stories. I don't blame them. I love the subject a ton, but I'm just like, it's so ridiculously self-indulgent and self-important. But on the other hand, you busted your ass on this book for a number of years, so you do want it to sell, and this is how you do it. But no, no, it's just an interesting kind of weird process. Yeah, I, I totally get what you're saying. Like, by now, your family's probably so over everything USFL it's not even funny yeah but on the other hand you know I mean beyond it pays the bills it like, pays the bills exactly. it's all, but more than that it's just the greatest way to make a living like I, could, I can't really complain because who the hell am I to complain about being able to write books for a living about, about a football league that I loved when I was a 10 year old kid you know yeah it's just like one of those things that comes with the territory I am like kind of covering Arizona sports out of nowhere mm -hmm. and my girlfriend's like you know I don't how many times can you talk about the Arizona Cardinals? Like, right. who cares? Right. About the Why do I care? Why do I care? <laughs> and you're like, you care because I'm doing it. I mean, you do. Yeah. You know, it's kind of, yeah. you know, and sometimes it's just her job, just like it's my job and your job to just nod and pretend you're listening. And that's <laughs> to, okay. Let me get it out. Let you get it out, pretend you're listening, and then move on to what's for dinner. Uh, yeah. So I another thing that has uh, I thought helped the book promotion is the song that uh, MC White Owl has done for you. How did that friendship come together with you? And I know he does the intro to to Writer Sling and Yang. Yeah. I don't know if that's a regular song or not, or if that was specialized yeah. for the pod. But no, uh, he died. No, no, that's a regular song. That's okay. Regular. Yeah. So are you guys like friendly? Did you go to school together? How? So um, it's like a great story. Uh, I mean, not that great. Fifteen years ago, maybe twelve years ago, I was at a. Uh, we used to live in New Rochelle, New York, and we had these neighbors oh, up the, on New Rochelle, right? And uh, you've been there? I lived in White Plains for a while. So. Ah, right. There okay. you go. Yeah. So, uh, Mean Street. I'm from Mayo Park. Mean Street's a Mayo Park. Oh, uh, so we had these neighbors, the Luftigs, and we went to a party one day at their house, and I meet this guy, and we're just talking hip-hop. He's their brother-in-law. His name's Aaron. And he's like, yeah, I used to be in a hip-hop group called Bad Ronald. And I'm like, okay, whatever. He's like, we had, a, we had a video that used to get play on MTV. I was like, okay. He's like, you want to see it? I'm like, okay. And there it is on YouTube, this video and you know, from the MTV playlist in 2001. And a couple, not that long after, a couple years later, I was working on Walter Payton. And he wasn't really that active with music at that point. And I was like, uh, any chance you do a song just to promote my book? He's like, yeah, man, I'll do that. And he did this song, Sweetness, it was awesome. And he's, got, he's really, if you look him up and you, you, you know, on iTunes and whatever, Pandora, He's awesome, and he has so much. Bad Ronald was like a joke. He is this freaking star and a stud, and we're just really good friends. And we call it a he calls it book hop. Like he'll write book songs, <laughs> promotional books. And then I found a uh, this kid who went to University of Delaware named Stephen Achoa. He's only like probably 22, and he was just coming out. And he DM'd me one day. He's like, "Do you know anywhere to get a job?" Blah blah blah. And I was kind of like, "I don't," but I I hire you to do a video, and there you go, the magic. I love that wow. song. I love that song. I truly do love it. 
that's so random. It's a funny story because when I was living in White Plains, I went to uh, this random barber shop to get my hair cut. And the dude who was cutting my hair was had a platinum song in the 2000s that I knew. If, do you remember the song No Pigeons? I don't think so, actually. Because there was the, the TLC song that was No Scrubs. No, like, yeah. Remember No Scrubs? Of course. They did a, there was like a, a rap group that did a song, like a, you know, a guy's no version of the really? song called No Pigeons. And it was, a, it got, a, you know, like a million set of Right, whatever it was. Whatever. It oh. Right. And the dude, <laughs> he was cutting hair in, in White Plains. Oh my God. Well, you never know who you're going to. King Kirk. Yeah. Oh, King Kirk. That does sound familiar, but I'm not sure. That's really funny. But the, the group was called Sporty Thieves. If you look up Sporty Thieves, he's there probably still there. Yeah, and there's nothing um, wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with having your moment and then sort of moving on to your career. You can't, you know, nothing wrong with cutting hair. Is it worth it's a totally honest living, you know? Yeah, some people, like, don't, I mean, the fame and all this stuff, it's, mm -hmm. like, tough on, the, on your mental. So, I mean, some people want to get out of it, and I totally understand. Oh, so you can't, I mean, unless you're, you know, Jay-Z, Eminem, maybe Nas, or it's very hard to keep a career going forever. It's just hard, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Especially as you get older, like like you said, like who wants to? It's so hard to be in front of your computer all day, because you need to be marketing right now. You need to be pumping stuff out. It's right. it's difficult. Right. I agree. Also, after a while, I think you like this is way off topic, but I saw like I was watching MTV the other day, and there was some 22 year old, uh, young looking guy. I'm guessing 22, singing a song. He's a good looking guy. Kind of looked like a young Justin Timberlake and the girls are singing along and they're crying to his song and you can tell he's like on top of the world and he just thinks he's the man right and he's mm -hmm. and he is a man he's 22 I'm sure he's getting laid a plenty and he's like you know making some money and he's not, but like that shit it it doesn't stay satisfying forever and if it does stay satisfying forever something's wrong with you at some point you're like you know what this is kind of empty I need to do something else now and you know that just happens in life you kind of move on and you find something new it's 100% correct. That, that's like with everything, not even like if you're famous or not. Like the 20s, you have your fun, and then right. once the 30s start. It's just like, all right, and you can still have fun, anymore. but it's a different fun. It's In fact, to me, I enjoy writing, and I enjoy my career a million times more now than I did when I was 30. You're, I'm not trying to make you sound young or whatever, <laughs> but like, I, I was just kind of like, uh, I have much more of appreciation for it now than I did when I was younger. So I think that actually does come with it. So uh, books aside, uh, Jeff is a columnist at The Athletic, which is just killing it in, in uh, sports media right now. Mm -hmm. How many columns are you doing a week and how uh, long are these are the projects taking you? I really I do. like the last one you did. Oh, thank you. I do, I actually didn't. That's a funny thing. I, I was like, oh, I don't know. I, um, it's so funny how you never know what's, what people like and don't. I, uh, so I kind of do one a week, but I'm sort of changing a little to do a few more features. Like I did a feature a few weeks ago about a Chargers safety named Rayshon Jenkins. And um, I really like stretching my legs with profiles. So I might cut down to a few fewer columns and, and a couple more, more features. But I really, I like what they're doing and they've given a place for a lot of journalists and they're hiring and it's, it's really encouraging, you know? Is it up to you as to how many posts, you're, you're, uh, how many columns you're doing? Or is no, it definitely not. I mean, they're paying me per column. Okay. So it's kind of... You know, it's up to them, and I think um, I don't think they. I think they're more into profiles than they are to columns. So I think uh, I think they want more sort of features, which I'm totally. I love writing the features. So whatever they want, I'm pretty happy with. You know, uh, there was another. I read one of the Kansas City writers had a really good story yesterday uh, about one that's like a, a third round pick, and he like got all messed up with. Uh, oh, I saw that. The drugs and that was great. Came back. Yeah, that was, was really a great good story. Yeah, that was really good. So some of their features are are really good. So with the athletic, yep. 
some of the newer cities. Yep. Like for instance, me, I live near Washington DC. I, I have, I set Washington DC as my homepage. They don't have a Wizards writer. They don't have a Redskins writer. It just seems like they might have stretched themselves a little bit too thin right now. Is there any truth to that? I don't know. I was trying to think how to answer that because I actually don't know. And I am, <laughs> I try to be very honest and I, I, so it's weird, right? It's like uncharted territory. And I think this is a guess. On the one hand, they're trying to sort of look, this is what we're going to do. We are going to markets. We're going to own the markets. We're going to feel, we're going to have a feeling almost of inevitability. I'm sure they're also thinking, you know, value of the company. At some point, I'm sure the investors are going to want to sell it or see what the value is. And I think if they can say they're all over the place, it's probably a much higher, you know, much higher sort of, I guess, value. I mean, if, if no, I totally get that. I sound like a moron saying it, but do I think like, am I, does it make me a little nervous seeing them move into markets where you're like, oh, Buffalo, well, that happened quick. It's kind of weird, like, because you blink and you're like, oh, they're in a new market. Um, but I trust that they know what they're doing. And so far they, they seem to. So I'm sort of hoping they do. I'm, I'm thinking the best. I am actually, I'm just hoping the best. Cause I really, the thing that's great about the athletic more than anything is it's just open up markets for so many writers at a time when that is not happening. So to me, I don't know anyone at SI, at ESPN, at Yahoo, who does not want it to work. Even if they're not writing for it, even if they're at the quote unquote rival, because it's a, it's a important thing for the employment of so many sports writers right now. Yeah, because once like, you know, if someone were to get let go from ESPN, at least they have options now. Yeah, of course. Uh, the Athletic is, uh, is a viable option right now. And it's like pretty, I feel like it's like every time someone leaves somewhere, it seems like it's always The Athletic that picks them up. Uh, the guy from Yahoo, yep. Shams, always has the scoop and, and he just joined, so. Yeah, no, I'm with you. Big things, that. man. I hope it works out. I mean, I'm, I truly do, I hope, and not for me, I mean, it's nice for me, but I just think there's so many writers where this place has been a lifeline. And really, I mean, to me, if you want to talk about definitive uh, athletic writer, it's Dana O'Neill who covers college basketball. I mean, she's, I wasn't that familiar with her. She's ridiculously good, like ridiculously good. And I listened to her, your podcast. Oh, it? she's so good and she's really smart. She's cool, but, but she's just talented, like oozing talent. And um, the idea that she wasn't working and now she has a place where she can be appreciated is, is to me, hugely important and fantastic. So That's scary, right? When there's, there's a lot of uber-talented people that are just, you know, whether it's bad luck or poor timing, there's a lot of really talented people that probably deserve a little bit better right now. Yeah, but the problem is, I mean, it's one of those, that's another thing you learn really. I'll tell you what, when I was at Sports Illustrated, Rick Riley left for ESPN. And, yeah, that um, didn't work out great. Right, but the interesting thing is it felt like uh, Armageddon when he left. It was like, holy shit, look what ESPN got. SI, are they even gonna be able to recover from this? And Rick is a friend of mine. Rick is one of the best feature writers I've ever read, right? But one of my favorite quotes, I think it's Charles de Gaulle, is the, the cemeteries are filled with irreplaceable men. You know, <laughs> we're all replaceable. We're all replaceable. So when people think, oh, they, how are they gonna get by without so-and-so? Like, they make everyone's, everyone's replaceable. All of us, we're all gonna die at some point, so we will be replaced. So. I just think it's cool for someone like Dana. I mean, the world would get by without my books or Dana's college basketball or whatever, but it's good when people who are talented and decent still continue to uh, be allowed to do what they do very well. Now, on to one of my favorite subjects in the world. I just want to say, um, I don't know for a fact that the world will be able to survive without my books. I'm taking a guess. <laughs> I, I could be wrong. Yeah, I could be wrong. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. What do you think is the, the five-year situation with Sports Illustrated? The, the print edition, at least. Oh boy, 
I uh, I think print this has nothing to do with SI like print is is dying everywhere and there's no yeah. revenue there's no revenue there's no ad revenue so I mean I suppose kind of like it was when I was there the swimsuit issue is, is prolonging something as far as the because of the money it still inexplicably brings in I just think SI and I still don't think it's too late I really don't just needs to adjust purely 100% to a digital future and just bust ass and th ask themselves, what do other websites not give that we can give? I mean, they have this treasure trove of backlogs of material. How can we use that? What can we do to just kick ass online? Because I feel like they've never, they have great writers. They have great people. They have smart editors. Like they've never fully taken advantage of digital the way they should. You know, like uh, the Vault was this thing. I remember when they introduced it, I was like, oh, this is the greatest thing ever. The Vault, you can find any story ever written in SI. That's amazing. But it's just never been that easy to use. And I think if yeah. they can figure that out, and they could, I just think they have a treasure trove and they have so many talented people there that I, I still have faith, actually. And people like outside of, people who aren't inside writing don't even know about SI Vault, you know? No, they don't, they don't. And also, um, I don't know if someone so you're 30, I'm 46. We're still at the age when SI, you know, had oomph. You to a lesser degree than me, but still, I don't, the magazine itself. I don't know if a 25-year-old right now um, has ever picked up a copy of Sports Illustrator, a 22-year-old, a 22-year-old or an 18-year-old. I don't know if they've ever picked up a copy of SI. That makes me so sad, man. Oh, me too. I used to, like, I lived in a space in upstate New York where there was no internet for a, for like a, a little over a year were you okay when that sports illustrated came into the mail yeah it was i felt like i was back connected again do you still get it oh my god yeah of course i don't know I if i paid for it recently but i, I still get it i know but it's still a great magazine that's the thing i just had a talk the other day with someone there i was like i don't know how you guys are doing it but the magazine's great the magazine is still is it what it was when you had sort of the the titans of the business no but is espn no you know like but is it great? Yeah, it's still really, really great. And the writing is still, I think it's still great. I really do. Maybe I'm naive. No, no, I, I agree. There's at least one, one like feature story in there that I read every single time. I, I know, which is, bummer, which is a bummer, which is a bummer because it used to be a cover Three. to cover thing for most people. Yeah. <laughs> Have you tried SITV out? No. It's, is it really bad? It's like, there's some good stuff, but like they start something, they do two episodes and it's been sitting dormant for five months what would be an example that's a very bad look like so they did they started a, a documentary series about jeremy lynn like jeremy lynn's comeback from whatever he's doing yeah two episodes right away boom boom april they're just sitting there it that's it been updated since and yeah. then they'll do something like si at the movies oh yeah come out with one and that's it nothing for a while you know it's just like the other streaming services are putting stuff out like more than we can handle yeah yeah I don't they're know. trying uh, like they have like some they've done some good documentaries but it's just like it's not enough to charge five dollars when ESPN's charging five dollars and giving you like a million games from colleges and stuff I always thought when I was uh, when I left SI I used to say this if I'm them and I know this like again it's probably way too late for this I would have gone into fantasy leagues a plenty and I would have I would have had the prize whatever it is you go away on whatever swimsuit shoot you like. You like. Here are the five locations. We're going to send you for a week to whichever one. You're going to go on the shoots with the models. Like, tie the things together. Use everything you have that's powerful about Sports Illustrated 
and use them as dangling carrots. You know, I don't know. That was it's about getting people excited, man. It's yeah. right. It's true. Yeah. yeah. You know, I love I SI. I love SI, and I, the writers there are still great. I don't think you'll find a better two right now in sports than uh, Chris Ballard and Lee Jenkins. Just like back to back, bam, bam, writers at the top of their game right now. So. Yeah, they they have NBA on lockdown, man. Lee Jenkins, I mean, he's that LeBron James story was huge that he did yeah. uh, a couple of years ago. He's like, great. Huge. He's great, and they're both really good guys too. Which actually, you know, they're both like great people. So. I hope that it lasts. I hope that they figure something out. I don't know if they like cut the print off completely. If that like okay, now we can you know start socking some money away or you know building the I website don't know. to something next level. I don't know. I mean, they cut the issues, the number of issues per year, and I think yeah, twenty like the forty to thirty. To now yeah, it's and I was I was, you know, like the old school guy in me that bums me out and makes me kind of sad. But I actually, I mean, I get it. You know, like I get it. Like when I was at SI, they started doing multiple covers. They would do regional covers, and they I did, thought they do that a little bit. No, now they do it now somewhat regularly. I remember when they first did it, and I was horrified. And you just kind of realize the longer you're in the business, if you don't move with the times, you're left behind the times. So I remember when the New York Times got them sold. I remember when the New York Times started printing color pictures, and a lot of people were genuinely upset. How can you abandon black and white? You are a black and white newspaper. Like, you sink or you stick around, or I mean, you move ahead. Are you just stuck not doing anything? Sometimes you just got it, you know? Are you still a newspaper reader? Like a print newspaper reader? Yeah. Uh, when I'm in Starbucks waiting for my drink. That's right. I like pick up pick up the New York Times. Yeah. Pick up I, the Washington Post. I read the Washington Post every day and I read the New York Times every day, but just online. Yeah, I think I think that in the somewhat near future it'll be like the Washington Post, the New York Times, the LA Times, maybe a Dallas paper and Chicago Tribune. Maybe like the five big ones, not nearly as many local papers right now. Like I don't know how the paper that I work for is making it. I have no idea. I feel like if, I feel there are a few things. I think people are still fascinated by local news. I really do. I think people like knowing the crime in their area. I think people like the high school scores and the and the reports. I think people like seeing their names in the paper. I, think I, used, people, to, I used to cut out every single time. Of, of I course, could. so did I. I have all my mail pack high school cross country clips and track clips are in the paper. Um, I used to say every. I'm staring at an article. Literally, I'm staring at an article taped to my wall that says Mayo Pax Perlman runs off to Delaware. Like those things uh-huh. matter to people. So I think there. I think I think local papers for the next. I mean, once people over the age of sixty now are off this planet, local papers are dead because nobody's even going to grow up reading a paper that they would think to pick up a paper. But until that time, I still think the local paper has an important part in the community. I'm talking about the weekly. Patent Trader or Supermarket Daily or whatever. I think those newspapers still do. So when the, like, I know some people who read the paper religiously. When those people are gone, how is Jimmy Jones getting his uh, baseball, like, cutting out his baseball score? Well, I don't know what it'll be then. Oh, are you talking about the local baseball score? Yeah, like the local baseball scores. It's a hell of a question. I mean, it'd be easy for me to say what would happen in 2018, which is, some mom writes a blog about it or some dad writes a blog about it and posts on the blog and they all pass it around and they put it on Facebook. And that's, that is totally fine. That's totally completely fine. But you know and I know there was a very unique thrill in picking up the local paper when you were a kid. And I remember, I literally remember making the Mayo Park High School varsity basketball team and seeing my name in the paper on the roster, just on the roster and being giddy and cutting mm-hmm. that thing out. That is a thrill. That'll, I mean, whatever, times change, but that's a thrill a lot of people are not going to know. 
Yeah, it's sad. Yep. But damn. Thanks for the thanks for the uplifting <laughs> interview, Casey. I feel much better. Author Jeff Perlman hung himself last night after thinking <laughs> after thinking about all the newspaper jobs that are he'll never get. Yeah. All right. So we'll see you on FS1 hopefully this week. Uh, any so. any other big plans in terms of uh, getting getting the word out in the book? Well, I'm going to New York uh, hey. for a week of PR in uh, in uh, in a week, and uh, you know I don't like I don't like talking about the things I'm doing so much because Surprise I'm always pa- no because I'm always paranoid they're going to get canceled. You know, like how many times does it happen where like all right, you're Jeff, we're going to have you on uh, whatever CNN later today to talk about whatever. And then at the last minute, it's like, oh, you know, Donald Trump just tweeted at somebody a picture. Of oh, man. Booger. I can't believe we haven't mentioned Donald Trump yet. What do you want to know? Now, have you ever sat there and, like, gone through his typos just through one tweet? I'm like, why is this capitalized? Why is that capitalized? That's crazy. Is, is someone cap- doing it for- How about the capitalization just in general? The capitalization. That's what I'm saying. Like, why are you capitalizing all these things? Right. Do you not know? Like, do you not know? Do you not? Do you actually not know that, like hospital is not capitalized <laughs> if you're not referring to a proper hospital like do not do not get that like liberal conspiracy would not actually be capitalized and if you really wanted to emphasize it you would probably go with maybe just all i don't even know maybe in quotes or something or a fiery emoji but the inane i'll tell you one other thing i thought i was at my kids back to school night last night and i was sitting in the science class right mm-hmm. and i live in a 50 50 conservative liberal area and I was thinking, I'm sure half these parents voted for Trump or supported Trump. We're sitting in a science class, um, but the chemistry teacher is talking. And I was thinking like, 50% of you fools don't even believe climate change is an issue. And you're sending your kids to science class. Like what's the point of learning things if then you reject them all? Because some right. cartoon marker tells you they're not true. Yeah. I'm like the, biggest, tough, man. I'm the biggest bummer interview you'll ever have. You know? When I was in school, it was like, the you respected your teachers, you respected the policemen, and the president was like the best role model out there. Yeah. And now it's just like such a different world, man. You know, it's really grim. And I always say, here's my hope. I'm going to sound like an optimist. Mm-hmm. This, but it's, it's kind of a disguise. <laughs> um, I have this dream that, whatever, three years from now, Joe Biden or Kamala Harris, Cory Booker, whoever, right? Whoever you want to pick. Even John Kasich or someone... One of these people is president, right? Mm-hmm. And this just all feels like we were in the shittiest dog shit dream of all time. You know, like, and yeah. like everyone's talking about we'll never get over this, but maybe just someone comes in and people are like, okay. Most of the people are like, okay. And we're reminded what it's like not to have to think about your president every day. You know, like if I were running for president now, I swear to God, part of my speech would be, you shouldn't have to think about me every day. Like that is unnatural. That's not how it works. It is. It's unnatural. Think about it with Obama, with Bush, with Clinton. You may have hated them. You may have liked them. You weren't dwelling on them every day. Yeah, it was, it was much more peaceful. I think that if anything happens to him in terms of like uh, the investigation, something like a, any type of trying to get him out of there early, mm-hmm. I'm worried about what his crazy ass supporters are going to do. I'll take that. I feel risk like it's going to be a civil war if that happens. Well, we're already halfway in a civil war in a lot of ways. It's a so far, relatively nonviolent, but the the divide in this country is crazy. The one thing I will say is, his core supporters are unbending, but I yeah. don't think they're nearly as large as as they are loud. I just don't. I think most people in this country, at some point, just like the USFL. I mean, just like the USFL. Donald Trump was a snake oil salesman of the USFL, and ultimately, 
he killed it, he drowned it, the players lost jobs, the owners lost their league, and one day all these people woke up and said, what the fuck just happened? Like, what just happened? What did I fall for? And I feel like at some point with this con man that happens. Yeah, a con man is confidence man, and he puts confidence in people, and they buy into it, and it's... I know, but then you're left. You're the guy yeah. who's buy, you're buying the potion for your balding, and you buy the you buy the lotion for hundred bucks because you believe it's going to work. And a month later, you still have no hair, and you're like, oh, wait a oh second. Oh shit! You know? Yeah. It's a it's a Mark Twain line. Um, it's easier to be fooled than to tell so commit convince someone they've been fooled. Hopefully, your dream comes true. That'd be nice. Yeah, uh, I'm with you. But September twenty second, football for a buck. Uh, USFL. There is September eleventh. Uh, uh, September eleventh. Oh, September 11th. Okay, yes. September 11th, USFL <laughs> football for a buck. Send Jeff chocolate because yeah, send him chocolate. His birthday's coming up. Yeah, and uh, yeah, man, September 11th it comes out. It's available everywhere now. It's my favorite book. Hopefully, it's my best book. And uh, yeah, there you go. All right, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, always a joy. Thank you. All right, good deal. USFL. Football for a buck, just another dream Donald Trump screwed up. The United States Football League, drugs, egos, money, greed, the truth. Why Trump paints the NFL? He's a racist and a bigot and his tickets wouldn't sell. A POTUS that can't even spell. A story so absurd, that's the USFL. Dear Donald Trump, you filthy leech. How many lies you gonna tell before they impeach? Let me interject a bit. I don't want you to forget the tears, the fears, the blood, the sweat. A league full of winners remembered for lack of liquidity. When in reality, it was all your stupidity. A bunch of misfits, this fits perfectly well. Herschel Walker, Doug Flutie, and some names ring a bell. And Marcus that might sell. Battle the NFL. 83 to 85, it didn't end so well. 40 million reasons. It was over in three seasons. A young Steve Young. NFL had the legions. Before the comb over. Before the Trump Towers. Before Stormy Daniels. Before the golden showers, countless hours wasted, success never tasted, spring fling football, and promo went and traced it. USFL, football for a buck, just another dream Donald Trump screwed up. The United States, football, league, drugs, egos, money, greed, the truth. Why Trump paints the NFL, he's a racist and a bigot and his tickets wouldn't sell. A POTUS that can't even spell, a story so absurd, that's the USFL. The drugs, the sex, the hookers, the bars, the players that became NFL stars. The invaders, the breakers, the generals, the blitz, a league rewarded grown men with working chicks. Chicago for Arizona, what a crazy scheme, Arizona for Chicago. Yes, the whole team stiffing players out of money, including Reggie White, players puking on coaches, even in mid flight through the NFL. Donnie, you schmuck, White Hour, Jeff Perlman, football for a buck. David Dixon, Chet Simmons, Bobby Bear, Anthony Carter, Doug Williams, Brian Sight, Gary Anderson, Vaughn Johnson, they traded a whole team for a team. <laughs>